0: I'd like to read for us from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, 25 through 24. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's defending his apostleship against people who have said, oh, you don't really need to listen to Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's changed his message, and he's about to come out and go, that's not the case. So in verse 11, it says like this, for I would have you know, brothers, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That would be Peter, if you don't know, Apostle Peter, Cephas. And remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and whom, in what I am writing you, before God I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Father, we hear these words and we would ask this morning that you would have them make sense to us you would make the meaning clear, that what is true would uh, ring out, and any misstep that even I might make, Lord, uh, it might not be heard, but quickly forgotten, and the true uh, remain. Be with us this morning as we walk through Galatians. Teach us more of your truth and the goodness of Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. So anybody in this room, anybody, is familiar with if not with the words, with the idea of peer pressure, where those around you are doing something, and it could be good or bad, right? Peer pressure is often seen as a negative, but it, you know, if everyone around you is trying to exercise more, you might be like, well, I guess I should do that. Uh, so it could be good or bad. Often we talk about it in a negative sense, uh, where they are pressuring you to do something you don't want to do. Again, that's usually something you shouldn't do, and it's kind of everywhere. That idea is everywhere, where there's always going to be people who are going to try and tell you, oh, well, you don't need to do that, or you shouldn't believe that, or you shouldn't do that. And as you try to walk faithfully with the Lord, anybody in this room is trying to understand the Scriptures and walk with Jesus, they know there's going to be people around them, uh, be they friends, uh, friends they might have, or family, or even their own parents, or even people in their classroom, or things that they watch on TV, or whatever it might be, including things in their own heart, saying to them, oh, that, that's not really, you don't need to hold on to that. You don't need to hold on to that. And we will all, if we haven't done it, we will all at some point in time do that. We will adopt the worldview or the perspective of someone around us because we really just don't want to deal with the consequences of, of holding the line. We'll go, oh, you know what, that's fine. Now, let's, just, let's just kind of go with it. So, so no one in this room is going to be exempt from the idea of peer pressure. No one's in this room because we've all changed our mind on something because enough people have told us. You shouldn't feel that way. I was having a conversation, even with my own kids. I think it was yesterday about this, this entire concept. I was like, hey, what did we just, what, you know, what commercial was that? They go, oh, and I say, what was happening in that commercial that might have been weird? Oh, this was happening. I'm like, okay, now what might we say about that? How might we respond? And we were kind of using our memory verses from last year. What might be a response that we have to that? Um, and then there was the line that I use, kind of my, my hopefully it gets stuck at some point in time. It's like, hey, as you grow up, and I do the same thing, there will always be people who tell you that walking with Jesus is not the thing to do. That, that following after him, that trusting him, that believing in him is silly. Uh, that there are other people in this world who believe different things, and how arrogant of you to tell them that you have the corner on the truth. Well, that's not a new problem. In fact, that's what Paul's dealing with in Galatians. right? I mean, he, he's dealing with, he's helped to start this church by God's grace and his we was a first missionary journey. He's gone out, and he was sent out, and he was preaching. He has left, and then what happens after he leaves is people come in, and they say, hey, that thing that Paul was saying, it's not true. That thing that you heard Paul say, no, that's not actually how it works. No, salvation by grace through faith is not, <clears throat> not really how it works. You need to obey, honor, follow the law, <clears throat> because it's from God, and you need, to, you need to live that way. That's really what's true. And Paul's message, no. He got that thing from other people. They just kind of cooked it up in a back room, and they're bringing it out to you. That's not really what it is. That whole idea is really the the impetus, the the, the force behind Paul writing Galatians. And as we get into these, really, these first two chapters, finishing out chapter one today, Paul is going to lay out for us, for his audience and for us, Why thinking like that is inaccurate. So in the first sermon last week, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1, what does he say? But there's no other gospel. There's none. You can't find another one. If you hear me even say something to you that is different from what you have heard, eternally condemned, accursed. I don't need, if you hear me, which is the crazy thing, because he'll even say, hey, if I come back at you later, and I say something that has changed, it's, it's my fault. It's not the message's fault. He's going to expand upon that in this passage today, where he essentially says, the gospel that I preached to you was sourced in God, not in man. Came from God and not from man. And so we'll see that. The first, the first verses, verses 11 through 17, he basically says this, that truth is, isn't locally sourced. And let me just explain, because we all love locally sourced restaurants now. It's kind of a thing. That means truth doesn't come from some locale geographically. It doesn't, it doesn't go, well, what do they believe over here? What do they believe over here? What do they believe over here? Let me tell you what they're believing over in Jerusalem about this. Let me tell you what Judea is saying about the gospel. Let me tell you what Samaria is saying about the gospel. So that idea of local, meaning well, what do they, how, do they, how do they kind of take it on? You know, that's not, I'm not meaning incarnation, how does it look there, but how do they kind of adjust it for who they are, how do they change it, how do they tweak it? For us, truth, the gospel message that we preach, the truths that we preach from every single Sunday, doesn't come from Hans, it doesn't come from the elders of Genesis, it doesn't even come from some kind of larger Acts 29 umbrella uh, that says, well, this is what's true and this is what isn't. Uh, you can always go right back to the source, which is the Lord. And that's what he's saying here. I'm not making this kind of stuff up. I didn't be sure that man checked out my message. I wasn't, I wasn't kind of going, well, does everything line up? Are you cool with that? No, 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 no. I went from the Lord and got this. So truth isn't locally sourced. As much as we like locally sourced and we want to see on the menu, everything comes from a local place. Uh, what he's saying here is the message that I preach isn't a message that man told me to preach. And he's going to get into that. Now, there's a couple of verses if you want to just write in your margins of your Bible. And you can have a a phone Bible. You can have a paper Bible. You can just have your eyes and read the screen behind me if you want to do that. But uh, if you have a paper Bible, you can scribble in it. I'm a big scribbling fan. So if you want to do that, if you need help on buying one, I'll help you buy one or something like that. But I like to scribble. But there's a couple of passages that will be helpful for us in this. And as we get into Acts chapter or Galatians 1 and Galatians 2, Acts chapter 9 is important. Acts chapter 9 is Paul's conversion. That's where he's on his way to destroy Christians, ruin their lives, put them in jail, maybe end their lives. He's on his way to do that. And then out of nowhere, Jesus shows up. Out of nowhere. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And as he, we read in Acts chapter 9, we're going to see that there is a point in time where he goes to Jerusalem. And he heads down to Jerusalem, but it's after a bit of time. He, he does that. So it even Luke's like, after many days is the way that Luke puts it. So Luke kind of summarizes what happens. Well, now we know some of what happens in the many days because in Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes about it. So Acts chapter 9 is really important for us in this, in this second half of Galatians 1. As we get into Galatians 2, Acts chapter 11 becomes important for us because it, he moves back to Jerusalem and he's trying to position when he goes back and what he does. So Saul's conversion, Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, he starts off for us in Galatians 1 with verse 11. Hey, I want you to know, brothers. I love that he's calling them brothers, even though he's really frustrated with them. Right? He, like, like he's, he's, he's identifying himself with them as people in the faith who have the potential, because of this false message, to be misled. So he's calling them brothers. The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Meaning, did not come from man. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, being from man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Interesting here. It's interesting here that he's saying this didn't come from man. It wasn't sourced in man. Well, we live in a country where uh, we would say majority rules. right? If you vote on something than if uh, 51% of a group agrees to it. In most instances, sometimes you need greater than that. But if more than half of the people agree with one thing, then that's the thing that becomes new. And that's often for just kind of governing relationships. That's kind of helpful. Oh, well, let's let's just take a vote. Right? Have you ever had a family vote or done this? You know, let's just take a vote. and Let's just kind of see. There are decisions, even as elders, where we go, well, we just kind of need to know how we feel. There's times where we'll go, we need... We need a unanimous vote on this because of the significance. We need to be in agreement. And if one is, doesn't want to be in agreement or for some convictional reason, we've got to figure out why that is. But generally for us, we kind of go, well, if, if this many people agree with it, that's good enough. That's, that, that's going to apply to all of us. And what he's saying here is that's not how it happened here. We didn't just get into a room and figure out how this happened. So he says, I didn't receive it from man. That means people go, hey, Paul, here's, here are your notes. right? Here are your talking points for the gospel." This is what you need to say. Nor, or I'm sorry, nor was I taught it, mean, taught it by man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, the first revelation he has of Jesus Christ is where? In Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, where Jesus reveals himself to Saul, to Paul, says, why are you persecuting me? And then tells him, then tells him what he must do. Then... He's blinded. He's there. He had another person come up to him, and I said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me here to you that you might uh, receive the gospel. And his scales fall off his eyes, and he sees it. And, And Paul doesn't talk about all the things that happened in there, but he's saying, the things that happened in my life have nothing to do, nothing to do with other people just giving me ideas. I encountered Jesus. Jesus showed up. And he's the one who said this. I didn't get it from anywhere else. Sometimes you have to say to your kids, "Hey, where did you hear that? Like, where did you get that from?" Sometimes you know, what have you been watching? Or that sounds a lot like we'll talk about more more of that next week or week after. That sounds a lot like someone I've heard before. Sounds a lot like your friend over here. You're saying that's not where I came from. This came from the Lord. And you know that's the case, right? Because he's going back to, you didn't have to, or if you hear me say something else, condemn me. Because I got it from the Lord. So he says, the gospel message comes from God, not man. So week after week after week after week, when we are here and we talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done, we're not kind of going, hey, this is what seems to be in the fashion right now, in the flavor of how life should be. And then he kind of goes into what the gospel has done for him, which is it's like it's interrupted all his plans. And he's essentially going, this thing wrecked my life. It wrecked my life. Everything that I had anticipated doing, even in that moment, has been changed because of Jesus. So he says this, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I loved, I loved my history. I loved my people. Anything that was going to hurt it or harm it, I was going to go after. And the message of Jesus was harming our history from his perspective. Anything This is actually one of the hardest things that some in this room might have to deal with when it comes to your conversion, right like like putting your faith in Jesus is the fact that you have to essentially lay everything down. you have to go, none of this matters, and that's a that's a significant thing to weigh in the course of eternity it's really not, but inside of ourselves that's a pretty significant thing to have to consider and here he's gone, I was head of the class. I was the smartest Jewish young man getting after my studies in every single way. I could do it. I was doing better than my peers. I was excelling in every way. I was happy to destroy anything that was harming it. Meaning my zeal for uh, Judaism was so strong that I would destroy the lives of Christians who I thought were ruining Judaism. And so It's almost like he's saying this, if anybody, if anybody sort of kind of just stayed where he was, it would be me, because I had a good thing going. I had respect, I had knowledge, I had job security, right? I was all of those things. I had all of those things. I was a well-respected Jewish leader on my way up, just ascending the ranks. I should have just stayed there. Worldly wisdom would say, don't do that. Don't change all of those plans for the sake of something. He's like, so I should have had that. Uh, If you remember back in December, Matt Aker's preaching from Philippians, and he kind of does the same thing. He talks about, hey, if anybody has reason to boast in your credentials, I have more. which is always a funny thing to say. If any of you think you're awesome, I'm awesomer. Let me explain why. But he had a soberness about recognizing what the Lord had done in him. And when you have that, you can can say that. You can go, I I thought I was everything. I thought I had it all. I was sure of it. But then you get to verse 15 and verse 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, going back to the Lord already knew what he was doing, even when I was persecuting Christians, the Lord knew what he was doing had a plan. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace when he, the Lord was pleased to reveal his son to me. Go back to verse 11. I received this from Revelation. I was living this way. Now his son has been revealed to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. nor did I go up to Jerusalem, up up, up in ascending uh, elevation, because he was actually, we say down because we think north-south, but he was going up in elevation, so that's why he says it. You can go up to Jerusalem to uh, talk to the apostles uh, who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, not sure where Arabia is, it could be multiple different areas, but generally kind of staying or going around the region where he was, and then returned to Damascus. So the Lord reveals himself to Paul over here. And when that happens, he goes, the the first thing I did was get away. And different people have different takes on what he did there. And how how he was operating. I went away to Arabia. Okay, we're not really sure exactly where, where he went. And we're not really sure what he did. But he was there for a bit of time doing what he did. So he went to Arabia, he came back to Damascus, and I think in that period of time, several years had passed. It would make sense to me, because uh, he's Paul, that he was preaching, and that he was teaching, and evangelizing, and and I would say probably even learning what all of these things might mean, and how these things fit. Because as you see him on his missionary journeys, he has a pretty well-developed understanding of the expectation of the Messiah. And he's able to talk about it in the synagogues. to go, let's look at this. He's always reasoning from the scriptures. So I think he was not just kind of pulled away totally. He was engaged in ministry, but also learning what all of this meant. It's why uh, me personally, now, you know, I'm biased to formal training, uh, but it's why I'm totally cool with people getting away and going for a season and getting trained. Because if you're going to spend the rest of your life doing something, be the best you can at it. Meaning, put the, put the energies in to learning and studying and growing and understanding and figuring it out and writing. Like like like, do that. Right? Like like if I'm going under the knife, if I'm having surgery, you know those commercials right now? Oh, I'm he's pretty okay, right? You know you know all that. It is like just okay. It's not okay, right? Like that's why I'm cool with a season of development, learning. Experience figuring out what all of these things mean. I think that's part of what Paul was doing. Every time I say that, I remember uh, good old Chuck Swindoll. And whenever, whenever uh, Dallas Seminary would have a bunch of students in town, they'd bring in Chuck, and uh, he was like, and he this passage as just like, "You're in Arabia," uh, and like, "I'm kind of in Dallas. Uh, it doesn't feel like Arabia, uh, but I get the idea, right?" He just kind of go and use it, suck it up, because the Lord is going to use these moments and these times in the future that you don't even anticipate he'll be using. And so I don't think everybody necessarily, and I'm going to put it in quotes, has like an Arabia time, uh, because for whatever reason they just can't. But getting away, serving, studying, learning, growing, ministering, and kind of putting those pieces together, it's incredibly helpful for gospel ministry. We can't all do it. Most of us can't do it. But if we can, it's beneficial. So he heard the gospel message. He didn't consult with man. He continued to do ministry. And then he talks to apostles. You see the true transformation, not just false transformation, glorifies God. Verses 18-24. So then after three years, then after three years, three years from what? Can't really tell. But, Uh, I would take this and the 14 years in Galatians 2 as talking about from that pivotal moment of his conversion. Not three years after returning to Damascus, which it could be, right? I Went back to Damascus, then after three years. But I think it's after three years from his conversion because that's like a, right, that's a pillar in his life. So this happened to me, everything went crazy. Then after three years, so the Arabia-Damascus time was three years, roughly. I went up to Jerusalem and he visited Peter reminded uh, and remained there for 15 days. Well, that's Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. But there's a meeting, a gathering. They're they're a little spooked by Paul showing up. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. You can't get in here. There's nothing, you know, we don't want you here. You're killing us. You're like a spy, you know, and not even a good one because we all know who you are. So it took a little while for him to get in, but he went to this meeting. There was Peter there, James was there, but he wasn't having this big apostolic council, which kind of helps us realize that he wasn't there to get his message vetted. Meaning he wasn't there for them to go, oh yeah, now now you have our approval. Uh, Though the fellowship that we'll read about is good, right, That, that, that he's able to have. So they weren't all there, they weren't taking a vote on me, and whether or not they would you know, be happy about my ministry with majority rules and things like that. No, that's not, that's not the case. It was a separate meeting. He went there, it small, he was there roughly two weeks. He met with them, and he's saying even in verse 20, I do not lie, I'm not lying to you, which is why I think the integrity of a minister is so key. Wait a minute, you said this over here, and now you're saying that. Have you ever you know, caught your friend or pastor or leader in a lie? Or, and maybe they just didn't even realize that it was. You just caught them in, in not, even, not even knowing they were being deceitful or confusing, but like they're just being inconsistent. That's a, that's a blessing. You can go, hey, you said this back here. And you go, oh, yeah, I did. But he's trying to say to them, I'm not, I'm not lying here. What do I have to gain by lying? I'm effectively telling you that people who have come in to tell you that you're you know, Galatians, that you need to believe this way, I'm telling you they're fools. Why would I lie in the details of what have happened? Now, it could be that these false uh, these Judaizers are coming in and saying about Paul, oh, wait, well, let me tell you what really happened. You know, we're not really sure, but we know that they're maligning him and his message. And so he's, he's going back and going, let me, what, what do I have to gain by lying to you about this? Nothing. I've already told you that I should go to hell if I preach a different gospel. So what, what's my gain here? Nothing. So he goes, uh, he meets with these apostles, and then he went away, back to Syria and Cilicia, so kind of in the region where he uh, had been, he was kind of around there again, but he hadn't gone and done church planning, he hadn't gone and had lots of visits, right? It wasn't like they were parading around Paul, the apostle candidate to all these different churches, to be sure that uh, they would all be okay with it, and vote on him, and whether or not they would accept his message. He goes, no, I, I just went away, and I went back to ministry, I went back to ministry. I wasn't known in person to these other churches, but they heard about me. They had started to hear about me. And this is what they heard in verse 23. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. I would pray that would be true of any conversion. It would sound different, right? Totally sound different. He, she who was an enemy of God, now a friend of God. He who thought that Jesus was a joke, let Jesus get the last laugh. However you want to put it. Because that's what they're saying. Hey, did you hear about? Did you hear about? Did you hear about? Did you hear about what happened? Who this guy was? There might be people who are hearing about this going, oh, yeah. Yeah, my aunt was in prison because of him. Yeah, My cousin in jail because of what he had done. I have family in Damascus. I'm so glad the Lord got to him before he got to Damascus. You can think of these things and and what might happen. So they're hearing about this conversion. And there might be people who have a personal interest in being angry with Paul for what he has done to the church as it began to grow in Jerusalem and beyond. And what's their response? They glorified God because of me. Remember when we preached about, uh, just a few months ago, giving? And you're like, oh gosh, Hans, if we go again. Now, we preached about giving, but in the second sermon, we, we were in first, our second Corinthians chapter 9, uh, in the second sermon, they were kind of the, the multiplying effects of generosity. And in that, Paul's arguing, hey, if you give here, they receive your gift, and then their needs are met, and then they're glad, and they praise God because they've seen God provide for them in ways they haven't seen, and then now you're being prayed for because they have gratitude in their hearts for you, and you just start to see what happens when people step out. And so now, because these churches in Judea have heard about what has happened to Paul, they're worshiping God because they've seen someone come from death to life. Uh, So when I say for this point that true transformation glorifies God, you have to go back to the source. The first paragraph here, 11 through 17. And what is the source? The source is God. Because he said, my message doesn't come from Man. I didn't consult with man. I didn't kind of group think this thing. Has anybody ever tried to group think an idea? It is the worst. It's the worst. You hear the joke, like, what's a camel but a horse trying to be made by a committee? Like, we just don't get it. And so when we try to have an idea together and come up with it, it's often a mess to to do that. I remember reading a book on writing. Um... And they were like, you can always have multiple people contributing to a work that is written, but you better have one person that writes the final copy. You just need to have one person write the final thing. Everyone else can throw in their ideas, but don't just parcel out. You get paragraph one, and you get section three, and you get this, because then the end result is a heap of garbage. And so when you think about the gospel message, can you imagine what would happen And even if you're here today and you're skeptical about the message that we're preaching, the one that we're talking about, the one that we read, the one that we die for, if you're skeptical about that, I get it. But just think about this. How could we have come up with this in committee? Who's going to go, oh, yeah, you know what, though? We also, uh, we need to invent an idea about God where he's three persons in one essence. We'll call it the Trinity. There'll be a Father and a Son and a Spirit. And we're going to write things in the first 39 books of the Bible that allude to something that no one's going to get yet. But then we're going to write in the next 27 books stuff that makes sense of the stuff that we didn't know was going to make sense yet. So we'll call it the Trinity. And, And each one of those people will serve a unique purpose in how we're saved and why we're saved. One is going to have sin placed upon him. It's going to be the one that reconciles us between ourselves and the Father. But we have to be sure that there's some kind of connection there. There has to be a way, a through way. And we're going to to create this idea of the Spirit in order to do that. It doesn't work. You can't groupthink it. You can't get into a room and come out with something better than what God has revealed. You can't get into a room and go... Oh, man, you know, what? like no one is going to get together with the best of intentions and come out with the gospel. As close as they might get and as hard as they might try, you will not get there. And so now you see why Paul is taking such great lengths in Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2 to say, let's lay out the reason why this matters. Because if I made it up, it doesn't save. You might as well be believing what the Judaizers said. But I already know that my reputation is on the line with you guys. So let me go ahead and lay out my autobiography. So that you can see how I had nothing to do with this. One of the things that I uh, have researched in a nerdy kind of way, and I, and, and I one day will regret it, is uh, pastoral succession. That was the thing I had to study in seminary the second time, pastoral succession. And so I didn't get to, you know, I got to study different churches and different processes and what they did. Uh, but when I hear of a story, you know, because now I have to kind of stay with my research interests so I don't, you know, get lazy. When I hear of a story, I kind of engage on it. I sort of follow track what happened or what happened here. And I remember hearing this guy talk about how uh, he was tapped in the shoulder to consider pastoring in another church. He's like, I had no, I, I had no desire to leave. None. I was very happy where I was. And he was kind of telling the story. And it's funny how when we are trying to convince somebody that we didn't come up with the idea, we start to go to the story of how I could have never come up with this idea. He's like, I was happy. I was fine. This guy called me. I'm like, nope. don't want to do it. Like, then my child said, hey, I want to, out of nowhere, I think we should move to this state. State where the church was. Where did you get that idea from? Who gave you that? And so then you start to tell the story. Let me explain to you why this is the craziest thing in the world. Let me explain to you why this idea was not my own. That's what he's doing here. <laughs> if anything, Paul could have gone, I could have just, I was, if anybody was ready to adjust the message, to align with you know, Paul's kind of career trajectory, Paul would have been the most qualified. He could have tried to kind of manipulate the scriptures to get to an end that allowed him to continue to flourish and be awesome. It's like, nope, didn't work. Then the Lord, who set me apart before I was born, stepped in. He redirected me. And when others heard about it, God was glorified. Because that's where change happened true transformation doesn't come from us. The enduring transformation doesn't come from us. It comes from the Lord. And we even, in, in that, and this is that kind of sovereignty responsibility thing, even in knowing that, you guys all showed up. Why do we show up here? To hear from the Word. hear from the Lord. To better understand who He is. And in a sense to avail our hearts and our minds and our eyes to Him because we want to be changed in true ways that lead to him being glorified by a message that is true, that we didn't create, but that came from God. Now, a young Hans would take this idea and do something like this. Well, if Jesus revealed this to Paul then I can go rogue. I'm free to kind of go rogue because I read something in the Bible and I want to kind of go after it because that's what I heard and that's what I think makes sense. I heard it from God. And so all I'm doing is being faithful to the same thing Paul was. This is how I can, this is how I can manipulate you guys into thinking that what I'm doing is best. But well, he had that experience, so I found this little verse over here. And I'm going to go ahead and run after that because I'm just being like Paul. And that'll trick most people who don't think which is most of us. But if you even look at the whole of Galatians, you go, well, he's already said, the message becomes different. Look out. Look out. And even though he is saying, I'm not getting approval from the apostles, you will see in chapter 2 over the next two weeks, how even though he didn't need their approval, Their fellowship was integral to the message. Their unity in that message was integral, which we'll get to read about as we kind of head into it. I don't need their approval. He even even has this line in chapter 2 where he basically says this. They were awesome. Everyone thought they were the greatest. Who they are doesn't really matter to me. I'm not concerned. They're super popular. They're they're, they're the influential apostles. That's what people call them, but I don't care. And even though he knew that, he's still like being together in the Lord is important. Being accountable to one another is important. Even though this came from the Lord, revealed by the Lord, I'm not some splinter faction. I'm a part of what God is doing. That's what I'm doing. But for uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, I would just say this to all of us who have the feelings to succumb at times to how the culture might view our God, our lives, our values, our hopes, our heart, the message of the gospel that is exclusive, that requires you recognizing that you're nothing, stand on what God has revealed and not how man feels. If you move, if I move with how man feels about something, then we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. Because then, 10 years from now, we go, well, I've changed my view. And this is what politics is. And I don't even mind that, right? Politicians can change their mind, but they're accountable to constituents. Like, we're not. Right. and so I hope that over time a politician might go, I used to see it this way, but now I see it this way. Right? Like on some things, no. On other things, absolutely. That's fine. We should be able to change our mind. And even on the things of faith where I'm trying to figure out what they all mean, right? Like you know the core, and then there's all these little fingers that we like to get really caught up in about doctrine and belief. Like, oh well, are you this or are you that? Right? We gotta get in kind of all that. Like, change your mind there. Don't change your mind here. <laughs> right? Don't change it. So when I say stand on what God has revealed, not how others feel, if we lean into how others feel all the time, and this is really hard, especially for the kids in the room. Because it feels like the end of the world if you lose a friendship. It feels like that even for an adult, honestly. But you feel it more because you haven't seen it enough. It feels like the end of the world to be mocked or laughed at for saying something that is true. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing to do. but the reward. The reward is great. for are standing firm. As hard as it is to do that. And you'll see in the example in life and ministry of Paul, he's like, people beat me for this message. I was left for dead at times. Not welcome. You're not welcome here. You can't be here. Can't, we don't want your kind. You can still look at Jesus and say it was all worth it. Why? Because he was confident in what God has revealed. That doesn't mean for you that I don't want you to investigate your doubts or your concerns or your worries. I want you to investigate them fully. I like what Tim Keller says. Wherever you doubt, you're believing something. So find out what you're believing so you can understand what's informing your doubt. Right? Doubt's basically a reverse belief or a belief that's showing itself in a certain way. So where there's not confidence, which is still based on a belief, might be doubt, insecurity. So investigate it. But when it comes to how people are saved, how bad off we are for the goodness and grace of the Lord Jesus, we should we should stand firm every time. Even when an entire church, a church we love, is saying, We're not sure you're right anymore. I mean, think about that. Think about the pain of starting a church like Paul did. And then after some years, getting a report to go, ah, uh, they're not, they're not really following. Well, you know, Hans, the leader guy goes, well, then Paul did something wrong. That's what we always say. Then he did something wrong to not ensure that wouldn't happen. But this is what happens. This is what human hearts do. We get wearied and tired of life. And we go, it would just be easier. It would just be easier to grab disbelief, honestly. I think it's why some people at the end of their lives become annihilationists, meaning eventually you just disappear. You know, I don't know how long you might be in hell, but eventually that's gone. I think that's why people become that. Because they, just, they get tired of going, thinking of the consequence of that not being the case. Year after year after year, they go, man, that's a big deal. And so you just get wearied by an idea, and so you adjust it. You go, let's just go over here now. Might we as a people, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years from now, still, when we're in the room with Jesus, be worshiping the Lord of the message that never changed, where we stood firm, and we look and we say, I'm so glad I held on. Because look, it was true. He is real. He is risen. So we'll continue with that next week as he, Paul grows in his testimony and his visits and how he interacts and why he interacts. We, then we'll get into chapter 3 and get to like meet uh, how does this all work out.